I thought you might enjoy what we have to deal with 24 hours a day in France. Sometimes your jaw begins getting sore because we're not always used to formulating uh, words in French, as some of you who are going through uh, French classes or Spanish classes or any classes know. It gets rough, but it's exciting. It really, really is. This morning, I'd like to uh, share a few thoughts on what an effective ministry is. And the principles I will share with you this morning, I believe, can be applied here and overseas. So hopefully it'll be something very practical for everyone. Specifically, I'd like to talk about the three necessary ingredients to have an effective ministry. And to do so, I'd like to focus our attention on Acts chapter 8. And I would like to read verses 26 through 40. So if you have your Bibles, please open them. To Acts 8, verse 26 through 40. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, he said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to the water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all cities until he came to Caesarea. I see three key principles for effective ministry in this passage. Vital ingredients for all of us, wherever we're ministering. And the first one is this, the preparation of the messenger. To have effective ministry... The messenger must be prepared. And we see this beautifully in the example of Philip. What do we know about Philip? First thing that we know is that Philip had a uniquely molded character. In Acts chapter 6, two chapters prior to our encounter today, you remember there was a problem in Jerusalem when all these people poured into Jerusalem for the Passover and there arose a complaint between the Hellenistic Jews and the native Hebrews. And these widows were being overlooked as far as the preparation of food. And so the leaders and elders decide that what they need to do is to select men 
to be able to take care of this chore. And so in verse 3 they say, But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And in verse 5 we see that Philip is the second man on that list, after Stephen. Here's a man who is a brethren, who is a man of good reputation, respected by all, recognized as such, a man filled with the Spirit, reflecting the fruit of the Spirit, and a man full of wisdom, the ability to discern truth from error. So here is the first qualification of this man. And the second one is his ministry. Here's a man in the ministry. And the first aspect of his ministry is service. Verse 1 the very end, they are selecting this men because the widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. They needed someone to serve food. Well, that's not a very glamorous job, perhaps. Preaching and teaching is a lot more exciting, perhaps. And serving for a man like Philip, you think, boy, now that's kind of a, a nothing job for this kind of man. And yet, he was selected to serve. And the second aspect of his ministry was one of preaching. In Acts 8, verse 5, we read... And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. In verse 12, But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. So, here's a man with the right character, the ability to serve in a humble way, and the ability to preach and teach the word of God. And beautifully, there's a last aspect as far as his preparation, and that comes in chapter 8, verse 26 that we just read. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 27, And he arose and he went. Here's a man, as a result of having the character and the ministry, is sensitive to the will of God. And when the angel speaks, gives him direction, follows the will of God without any questions. Incredible how God had uniquely prepared him for this encounter with the eunuch. Now, I really believe that every one of us in the Christian life is in the process of being prepared. No one has actually arrived to that place where we are now prepared and now ready to do what God asks us to do. We're in that lifelong process. And so, what I would like to do is simply share with you how God has been preparing Meg and me for the unique ministry that He has for us. But as I share that, I would like for you to think about your life and ask yourself the question, how has God been preparing me for that which He would have me do in the future? And each one of us has different circumstances, different desires, different drives, different gifts, and yet He's preparing each one of us for that ministry. I was born in Paris, France, and uh, my parents went over there on business uh, years ago, and I was raised in Geneva, Switzerland, and that's how I learned French. It became sort of natural. It was a mother tongue, really. At the age of 15, my parents sent me to school in the States, went to Syracuse University in upstate New York, decided to uh, take a year off after my freshman school to try and think what life was all about and try and understand who I was. So I decided to travel. I was a travel addict. I was 19 years old. I loved it. So I went back to Switzerland, put a backpack on my back, and for six months I backpacked from Switzerland to India. It was an incredible trip. I can't tell you all the details here, 
But when I got to India, overland through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, I was troubled. I was confused. I was trying to figure out what life was all about. And right there on the sidewalk, I met a missionary. This missionary very forcefully confronted me with the gospel of Jesus Christ out of John 3.16. And right there, I embraced Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I joined the missionaries for the next month and went back to Syracuse University, upstate New York, and got involved with Campus Crusade because I love to evangelize. I love those four laws. And I just hit that campus like crazy. It was fantastic. I was just really excited. Then I decided after college, I still was in a travel mood. I wasn't ready to go into ministry full-time, but I knew God had called me to that. So I decided the best way to travel is for free. So I joined Pan Am as a flight attendant, and I got accepted and began to fly for a year all over the world. And that was just a fantastic opportunity to have my eyes open to different cultures around the world. Well, meanwhile, at the age of 14, a young lady uh, decided to take a year of her high school education and be an exchange student to Japan. Well, this lady, you can guess, is now my wife. She wasn't my wife then. She decided to go to Japan, and she did for a year, and went to the island of Kyushu. And this was an incredible culture shock experience for her, because she didn't speak a word of Japanese, and it was a country, you know, it was a little fishing village, out in the middle of nowhere for one year. And so she struggled for that one year learning Japanese, and became extremely lonely. And someone had given her a Billy Graham uh, Bible, and there she was in somewhat of agony and uh, read that Bible and at the very end, last part of the Bible, there's that page as to how to receive Christ and needing a friend desperately. She gave her life to Jesus Christ there on that island of Kyushu and Christ really fulfilled her for that next year. Well, she got excited, went back to college at the University of Washington, majored in Japanese language and literature and decided after college that she would really like to travel, but she'd like to travel for free. So she decided to also join Pan Am as a flight attendant. Well, one day, I was in New York, in uh, the uh, Jeff Kennedy Airport, waiting for a flight to go to London. And this other Christian girl that I knew came running in and she said, Oh, John, John. She said, I just met this girl. She's a flight attendant. She's a Christian. I think you'd really like to meet her. She's on the flight with me from Frankfurt. I said, Great. So in walked in this beautiful Christian flight attendant. <laughs> My heart began to just... I did somersaults inside. In fact, you know what happened? I fell in love just that fast and I married her. And I thank the Lord that I married her because she is just a wonderful companion to me. God prepares each one of us very uniquely, doesn't He? We all have our own stories, but God is preparing us. After we met, we came back to Los Angeles. I'd heard about Talbot Seminary, Grace Community Church, and I was excited about what was happening out here. So we moved out here, and I decided to go on to seminary. And that's where I met Russ and just had a wonderful time studying the Word of God, which I loved and still love to this day more and more. So that's the first ingredient, isn't it, to effective ministry? The preparation of the messenger. And we're all messengers. And God is preparing us. And he's continuing to do so in our character, in our ministry, and in our sensitivity to God's will. What's the second ingredient to effective ministry? Let's think about it. Here is the messenger prepared. The second aspect is that there must be a recipient that is prepared to receive what the messenger is going to give him. The preparation of the recipient. Acts 8, 27 and 28. And he arose and went. This is Philip. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, incredible, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Here is an incredible encounter. 
between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. Only God could have planned it. Now let's find out a little bit about this eunuch. Who is he? Well, first of all, he's a Jew. Probably. Maybe a convert to Judaism, but he's probably a Jew. Why? Because he's gone to Jerusalem to worship God. And that's the second point. He's not only a Jew, but he's a worshiping Jew. It says in verse 27 at the end that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He, along with thousands of others, had come for the festivities there. But not only was he a worshipping Jew, he was an active worshipping Jew. Imagine, he got on his chariot in Ethiopia and got, went all the way up to Jerusalem, probably being pulled by a couple of horses. That is a long way to go to worship God. That is activity in the ministry. But not only was he an active worshipping Jew, he was a Bible-reading active worshipping Jew. Here he was, on his chariot, riding down this desert road, towards, or actually going home, reading the Bible. But you know what? He wasn't only a Bible-reading, active-worshipping Jew. He was an Old Testament Bible-reading, active-worshipping Jew. He was having devotions in Isaiah. And you know what? He wasn't even a believer. Philip baptizes him later when he receives Christ. Imagine. This guy was searching. This guy was hungry. This guy was reading Isaiah to fill that void within his life. And you know what? There are millions of people in this world just like that man, searching, searching, searching. Well, in France, there's a little village called Larbrel. You saw slides of it just a few minutes ago. A little 15th century town. And in this little 15th century town, as you saw in the slides, there's a bakery. And in this bakery is a baker and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Bourricon. And this baker and his wife have been baking pastries in this place for 45 years. And about two years ago, two or three years ago, they began to think, any, think with each other that they were about 65 years old and that they had never really cultivated the spiritual dimension of their lives. And so they thought to themselves, let's get rid of our TV and get a Bible and begin reading and find out what the Bible is all about. So they did. They got rid of their TV, got a Bible, and every night after work, they read. And they started at Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, Genesis 4, Exodus, Leviticus. They plowed for two years every night through the entire Bible. They got to the end. End of Revelation. They looked at each other. And they asked, what does it mean? What does it mean? What are the implications of this to our lives? They were bewildered. God was miraculously preparing them, the recipients of what was going to take place. Just like the eunuch, God was preparing this man and this woman for something incredible. So, preparation of the messenger. Preparation of the recipients. But there has to be a third ingredient to have effective ministry. Without it, it'll never happen. You know what it is? The preparation of the circumstances. Unless God brings the prepared messenger and the prepared recipient together, ministry will not happen. The preparation of the circumstances. Just imagine the story. Here is the Ethiopian eunuch 
riding on his chariot, going back to Ethiopia, reading Isaiah, wondering what it's all about. Then God, by means of an angel, the angel of the Lord, spoke to Philip and said, Philip, go. Without, God, without God's intervention, Acts 8 never would have happened. Because God took Philip and put him with that man. And ministry took place. Well, incredibly, about two years ago, Meg and I were nearing the end of seminary. At least I was finishing seminary. And we began to think about what God would be calling us to do. And since I was raised in Switzerland and knew French, I always had in my heart the desire to go back. To go back and there plant churches. Because in the 15 years I lived in Switzerland, I never heard the gospel once. And I knew that the gospel was lacking. And so I wanted to go back. And circumstances happened that we began to get involved with the Echo Department of Grace Church. And we were asked to share our vision. And I shared my vision not knowing what God would do. And they got really excited. And they decided that it would be good for Meg and me to go as short-termers for a year and a half to France with team and work with a missionary who's already been sent out by Grace Church, Howard and Debbie Foreman, and to get the experience and to find out whether missions was really something that God was calling us into. So we said, fine. We didn't know where we wanted to go. We had thought about Geneva. We had thought about Paris. We had thought about different places, even Montreal. And it turns out that we were sent to Larbrell, this little town. We'd never even heard of it in our lives. So the foremans had found a big house. You saw that lonely house in the slides. And after that month, we thought, no, this is just too isolated for us. Can you imagine going from L.A. to that house in the middle of nowhere? I mean, we just felt lost. So we said, no, 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 we're city people. We're going to go in the middle of the village and get an apartment. So we went to the agency. You have to go to an agency there to get apartments. You don't have all these for rent signs like you have in the L.A. area. There you have to wait a month, sometimes two months. If you're real lucky, a couple of weeks to find an apartment. And then you take what you get. So we went to the agency and just by chance, or by God, I should say, they had an apartment available right in the center of town. So they said, let's show it to you. Great. So we followed the uh, man from the agency downtown and just on the way up to our apartment, he said, ah, let's go meet your landlord first, real quick. I said, great. So we walked down the street, 15th century cobblestone street, and he stopped in front of a bakery. And he said, this is your landlord, the baker. I said, oh, interesting. So we walked in, and here came out this baker. Baker all dressed in white with a big baker's white hat, and he had molasses and chocolate all over him. Just, that's all he does. Eight hours a day, makes pastries, makes chocolate cookies. Oh, it's incredible. He also makes homemade sherbet, banana. He makes, um, um, oh, just, it's really good. And also, he has this huge container of uh, marzipan. Do you know what marzipan is? It's so good. It's like almond paste. And he would let me go in there and dip my finger and just kind of try things out. And he made eclairs, chocolate. Oh, sorry. So where was I? Um, no, they weren't all that good, though. They really weren't. Uh, so anyway, as I was saying, we were, we, we were, oh, that's right, ministry, yes. So we were uh, in France ministering, missionaries, that's right. No. So we walked into this bakery, and here came this man, this baker. And he said, uh, who are you? What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm a pastor, and I'm here to work in the... Uh, Evangelical Church of Larbrell. He said, you know, his eyes got wide open. He said, you're a pastor. He said, yes, a Protestant pastor. He said, yes. He says, Mr. Glass, I must talk to you. We must talk. I said, great. So the next week we went down there and he 
began to tell us his story. He said, Mr. Glass, two years ago, two years ago, my wife and I got a Bible out and put away our TV to find out what the Bible was all about. He says, we don't understand it. Can you help us and understand this? Well, my eyes got this way and I couldn't believe it. And he said, we want to learn. Well, I wasn't ready. We'd been on the field one month. I had all my DE notes and FOF and all these things in English, but not in French. So I said, I'll come back next week. So I went up and all week worked through my DE presentation in French and my dictionary and all these things. Finally, went back the following week and shared with him step by step for a couple of hours the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, Mr. Glass, everyone's on a, first, on a last name basis there. It's always Mr. and Mrs. He said, Mr. Glass, he's 65, I'm 30. Mr. Glass, He says, can you come back next week? He says, I would like to call my neighbors and my friends and have them come and listen to what you have to say. I couldn't believe it. So all of his neighbors came. We were about 12 people around this table the following week. And for the next few months, systematically we began to go through the Gospel of John to explain to them the life of Jesus Christ and to explain to them the meaning of salvation. Well, I wish I could tell you today that they experimented or experienced what the eunuch experienced. They're not Christians today. We found out after several months that Mr. and Mrs. Blicon evolved in occultism. There are more registered mediums in France than there are registered doctors. And he was one of them. And he had a little pendulum with which he was able to determine people's ailments. They came to him. He had a clientele. And they were able to, he was able to determine people's ailments and then um, prescribe homeopathic medicine to them. And also he was a magnetist. He wore copper and zinc bracelets and a magnet here on his chest. And he was able, he says, to lay hands on people. And we saw him do this on one occasion. He lay hands on people here and here to heal them of uh, tension and all these things. And he says that the, the uh, magnetic uh, vibes, things go through him and heal him. And so when we began to discuss repentance, Jesus Christ, receiving Christ, the walls went up. They said, we're not ready for this. So I couldn't push too hard. Well, today, two years later, they're not Christians yet. But you know what the incredible thing is? He is now leading a Bible study through Genesis to that same group of people. And he's not regenerate yet. Folks, there is a man who's searching. There is a prepared person. And I thank God that he worked it out that we were able to be together for that encounter. And I believe firmly that Mr. and Mrs. Boykin and all those people will become Christians someday. And that's where I would ask for your prayers. Pray for them. Pray for them. It's so characteristic of France. Well, what have we said? To have effective ministry, you need the preparation of the messenger. Then you need the preparation of the recipient. But God must put those two together. So I challenge you. Is that true of you today? How is God preparing you for that ministry? Maybe you'll be a missionary someday, maybe not. But you will have a vital ministry wherever God places you. How is He preparing for that in your life? Are you praying for prepared people? For people that you might be able to reach? I understand that next week or in the next couple of weeks you have all sorts of uh, missionary activities, I guess, in the local area. Are you praying that God would put you in touch with someone who's prepared? Someone perhaps who's been reading and thinking and wondering and praying and asking God to show them the truth? You might be the key to their salvation by being a Philip in their lives. And if you ask God, in light of the next couple of weeks, to bring those circumstances together, put you with them. That's what I pray for us. And that's what I would pray for you. 
a few thoughts on France to finish off. What is France like? Well, at the height of the French Reformation, 48% of France was Protestant. 48. Today, 0.3% are Christians, which means that 99.7% of all French people are lost and headed towards a Christless eternity in hell. That is reality. Though France may have one of the highest standards of living in Europe, it is spiritually like a desert. There are 55 million people in France. 43 million have no link with the church, though 99% call themselves Catholic. Listen to this statistic. Paris itself has one evangelical church for every 250,000 people. Let me repeat that. Paris, that beautiful city that you see up on your screen, has one evangelical church for every 250,000 people. It's hard to comprehend. There are 38,000 communes there. 36,000 have no evangelical witness. There is on the average one Christian worker for every 40,000 people in France. There are only 1,300 full-time Christian people in France. 1,300 is the total amount of Christian workers in France. And finally, only 5% of the population owns a Bible, and 80% have never even seen one. Perhaps you've been there as a tourist. It's beautiful as a tourist. But spiritually, it is a desert. The largest church we worked in had 42 people. The largest church had the chance of preaching it had 110 people. And the largest church in France, evangelical church, has 600. And that's a Pentecostal church. What are French churches like? I read this, and it describes French churches to the T. Now, you know who wrote this. And I'd like for you to think about who you think wrote this. He says this, We visited our French brethren in the obscure, out-of-the-way and dirty room at the back of the church of Saint-Roch. We sincerely wish that they would come out of that cave of Adulam. We have no objection to worship with them, even if they select a stable. But some people maintain the dangerous luxury of a nose, and others have a fastidious liking for fresh air. And these pardonable refinements will be quite out of the place in that miserable schoolroom. The number of worshippers was about the same as when we were there last, something under 100, but their zeal and spirit were all that we could wish. So gracious and zealous are they that we can scarcely tell how it is that they do not, for the sake of the good cause, thrust themselves into a position of more publicity. It was with extreme difficulty that we found them out at all upon a former visit, for there was not even a notice board outside, and one had to turn into a little courtyard and up a winding pair of stairs before the little written notice which tells the hour of worship could be seen. It is as if a tradesman should advertise his wares upon a piece of paper wafered on a pane of the back kitchen window, where no one would ever see it but his own family. Verily, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. The church of God in this case is not a city set upon a hill, but a hamlet hidden in a hole. Who do you think wrote that? Any ideas? Spurgeon in 1865. 
Over 120 years ago, Spurgeon wrote that. And you know what? The sad thing is that very little has changed in France. Desperate, desperate need for church planters, for missionaries, for nationals to be built up and to go out and start churches. But there is hope. Team, the Evangelical Alliance mission, the mission that we went with, entered France 35 years ago and started one church with one man. Today, 35 years later, there are 25 evangelical churches in the southern suburb of Paris. And their projection for 1991, five years down the road, is to double. That is a lot of work. And we need people. We need people to help in this project. Great needs, great potential. Doubling by 1991. To show you the difficulty of planning a church, they say it takes one, it takes ten years to start one church in Paris to the point where it's self-sufficient. And it spent seven years in Chad as a missionary and started 25 churches. He has now spent 25 years in France and started three churches. It's not easy going. And if you're a person that gets kind of discouraged like me, France is a tough place to be. Because I love to see things happen. And in France, they happen, but they happen in a very slow pace. And so what we've had to learn to do is to think French, not think American. If I go to France and begin to compare everything with what I know here, Grace Church, I mean, can you imagine? There's no way. I I get discouraged. I I go to a church. I'm going to be ministering in a church of 40 people. I led a Bible study larger, larger than that several years ago. But if I put my French thinking cap on and begin to think of what's happening from a French perspective, folks, revival's going on. There's revival. There were, there's one teen church 35 years ago. Today there's 25. Double by 1991. Folks, that is revival for France. So what was my biggest pop bubble? That comparison. I crashed the first week because I began to realize that it's not the same as here. And that's why I think cross-cultural short-term experiences are so valuable. But my thrills and my encouragements were preaching and teaching in French. That is my commitment. That is what I love to do. And that is what they respond well to. Just basic verse-by-verse expository preaching. We are going back to finish off next month. And we've been asked, by the grace of God, to go to a church on the west side of Paris, about eight minutes from downtown Paris. And we'll be working with a French pastor there who has been there seven years. The church is about 20 years old. It has a building and a baptismal font. And that is important in France. Very few churches have baptismal fonts. And um, this man is about to retire. So we've been asked to come and work alongside this man for a year. And then when he retires, to take over the church as the pastor. But our goal at that point is not simply to pastor that church. is to start three or four other churches in the surrounding area. It's a great challenge ahead of us. I'm scared. I'm nervous. Meg is nervous too. But we feel that this is what God is calling us to. We want to go do the best we can and leave the results to God. Maybe to finish off, I'd like to simply make you an offer. And that is to challenge you to pray for us. We do need prayer and we have some prayer cards here that we would love to give to you with our current addresses on the back. And we seem to be the preferred uh, 
people to be on, I mean not preferred people we seem to people seem to like to put us on the refrigerator the most so if you'd like to put this put us on your refrigerator and when you grab the food just remember us and maybe pray for us and if you're really inspired write us and if you'd like one of these cards Megan and I'll be down here in the front and we'll be glad to hand you one so with that let's close in a word of prayer and I hope that today's words have simply challenged you to think about your preparation and about the people's preparation to who you're going to minister to let's